welcome to the 100th installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as as always, let's say hello and a big warm welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick, and man, 100, do you feel that old? (laughs) Actually, I feel twice that old. Well, okay, yeah, there you go. Twice that old is pretty appropriate. It seems like we've been doing it this long, trying to get to this point, haven't we? Uh, we have. And, uh, you know, I mean, the podcast, we, we haven't done a, a podcast in a few months. And people are like, hey, what happened to the podcast? Well, you know, we're kind of busy. Um, I tell people I feel like Ryan Seacrest without the money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, keeping busy, it's a good thing. So, uh, you know, I've been, I wanted to do, you know, all kinds of different things, but then I figured, you know what, we, we just got to push out 100 cause I think there's a real milestone and, um, you know, some statistics for the, uh, show we have over 300,000 downloads. We're also, we, we pulled these all down now and we put them on SoundCloud because some people nice. prefer SoundCloud. You know, um, in those hundred episodes, we have 71 hours of content since the original wow. kick, kickoff show in May of 2012. That's pretty amazing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's crazy, man. 71 hours of chock full of dronally goodness. You know, and if you hit the high points on it, I mean, if you took the, the, the information that we gave in each one of those shows, I bet you it would make for a pretty good volume and a history of how we've progressed. I'd concur with that. I would definitely concur with that. Um, you know, I know that a lot of this content gets used for uh, college classes, um, other instruction people use it. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, or was it yesterday or the day before, who told me that he always brings you up whenever he does a public speaking engagement and talks about some of the work that you've done uh, as an inspiration to people. And, oh. you know, uh, he, he said to say congratulations. I, I thought that was pretty nice, and I, I told him it's funny you say that because People ask me a lot of the time, they say, do you, do you know any drone experts? I say, I know one guy, and his name's Gene Robinson. He's out there in the field all the time doing it. So, you know, hats off to you, Gene. Um, you know, and, and I feel like I know so little because I am learning what I don't know. <laughs> well, that's how life works. You start to think, well, I, I got this thing licked. And then you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't really know much here. There's a lot to learn. But... I do want to talk more about that uh, towards the end of the program because that's where we started with search and rescue. And I definitely want to, you know, I think it'd be fitting to say, hey, you know, what have you learned in the last four years? But uh, (laughs) probably (laughs) yeah, you're going to have to do the Cliff's Notes version of that. But, uh, you know, you can hit the high points. But, well, you know. I wanted to talk a little bit. I mean, I know we've had some exciting times on the program. Um, You know, 
What and and I'm going to ask you what what was the most memorable show in your mind? You know, and it's it's one that surprised me. I've always liked the field shows. You know, we were out in the field. Uh, we were at Camp Swift doing the burns out there, and I, you know, I was pick, and just so happened we had a show and we had a downtime, and we had the uh, the primary investigator out there, and the fire was going everywhere, and the planes were on the catapults, and you know we were ready to go. I thought that was a really exciting, I mean, a very informative kind of blow-by-blow podcast. But I got to say, I really like the one about Boca Bearings. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm kind of crazy, but there was a lot of information in that show about Boca Bearings. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Um, I liked what they were doing. I liked that show. It was pretty exciting. Um and I, and I agree with you. I think the, the shows from the field were the best. I mean, one that really sticks out in my mind is uh, when I did the show, or we did the show, and I was uh, doing it uh, live via pirate satellite at White Sands. Um, oh, yeah. You were standing on top of a sand dune out there somewhere trying to get a signal, as I recall. Yeah, on on some pirated, uh, you know, <laughs> bandwidth, and uh, you know the, the the audio wasn't very good on that episode, but uh, you know, huge racy on uh, radar array close by. Um, also at that time too was the uh, the big blimp was out there that they were testing that got away in Virginia with a huge radar dish on it. So they were like really in a, a compromised. Um, I'd say comms environment, but still we're able to get the show out. Uh, pretty exciting, uh, you know, birthplace of the United States. Uh, let's say space program. Other firsts out there. Uh, I would have probably done the workout at White Sands for free, but don't tell anyone. That's how good that one was. Uh, but I enjoyed that show. I thought that was great. When do you get a chance to hear something live from um, from White Sands? That 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 was kind of my favorite. Yeah, but, no kidding. Uh, it, th- those are always good. I think, in my my view, it's like, you know, your your action reporter on the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, trying to give people the uh, paint that theater of the mind of what's going on there. Excellent time. I enjoyed that. And then you know, um, let's talk about uh, your favorite guest or the. The, the guest that stuck out in your mind through this whole odyssey. Well, we had several scientists on the show, and I, I'm sorry, I, I geek out on that kind of stuff, and, and I like all the scientists that we had on the show. We had the the, the wildlife biologist, you know, we had uh, uh, the fire researcher. Those kind of people, you know, it's it, it, it's kind of like going to a, a, a really kind of geeky party where everybody sits around and talks about quantum physics, but I kind of find that interesting. So, you know, hearing how these people were using unmanned aircraft or drones, whatever you call them, I accepted that, that that was kind of cool. I, I liked it. I, I thought it was pretty neat. It gave me insights on, you know, the way people were viewing them at the time. And of course, that's changed so significantly since we started. It has. I would. Um, I definitely say. I mean, I, it's funny. Read the news, and people will be like, "This is the first 
time a drone has ever, you know, it's like, yeah, not really. <laughs> That's been going on for a long time. And even out there on Twitter, I like to make fun of, uh, I think the latest thing I was putting out there the other day is how I was going to write a certificate program for drone selfies. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's it's just it's it's hilarious, you know. People, oh God, you know, um, you know, we we did this, you know. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you've been around so long, you get a little jaded. But I agree. The guests, the um, the scientists are good. Um, I like, and and I've said this for years. When you get people spooled up on what they're passionate about. And they and they like launch into, you know, how they use this technology to get, let's say, new data or unprecedented data. Like I think it was the guy from NOAA got on here and was telling us how, you know, a hurricane formed and the transfer of energy from the, you know, water to the air and the difference of temperature and how things is like this perfect combination for these things to uh to be born, you know, and I was like, Wow, you know. I didn't know that. So I, I think uh, the exposure that I've gotten to, let's say, other areas of expertise has been uh, uh, very exciting for me, you know, and uh, meeting people that um, in fields that you never really thought you were going to meet, you know. So I, that was the, the things that have kind of really blown me away. And then I tried to remember back some of the best guests that we had. One of them that I really liked was uh, – well, there were a lot, and I liked um, – we had Jeff Bland on who works for NASA, and he's yep. been using, you know, remote control aircraft, drones, whatever, kites, et al., uh, for like 25 years at uh, NASA. And I believe that was probably one of our highest listened-to shows with like over 25,000 downloads. Wow. And a lot of – I know, and a lot of the comments I got on that were like, oh, my God, I never knew anybody was using these, um, you know, to collect data from, you know, volcanoes, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and that was an interesting uh, show. Uh, it's funny that that gentleman, you know, things got so, uh, let's say, ludicrous or ridiculous with uh, the NASA let's say, uh, requirements to fly drones that he just took to fly in a kite. And they were flying a, uh, last time I saw them, they were flying a um, methane sniffer on a kite. <laughs> so, you know, just uh, there you go on that one. The other ones I, I liked, I liked Tad McGear from Aerovel. That's another one. Yeah, um, that's good one, yeah. Yeah, he, you know, guy's been using and developing and uh, flying these things for, you know, since, I don't know, I guess the, the early 90s or whatever. There was a story not too long ago where people were like, oh, this is the first drone to cross the English Channel, you know, and I was kind of like, uh, wait a minute, whoop-de-stinking-do, okay, uh, you know, Tad did that back in 1998 from Newfoundland to Scotland. It's nice. It's cute. You're flying over the channel you know, uh, 20 years later or whatever, but, you know, it's been done. People just don't know about it. But Ted's an interesting guy. The flex rotor, we love it so much. Um, we kind of used it as our logo at SUS News. But very yep. interesting to hear about that. And, then, you know, before drones, the guy was into bipedal, 
robotics, which is also very hard. That's uh, not easy work. No, uh, the other the other one that sticks out in my mind, and that's another thing uh, through this this whole uh, let's say drone odyssey for the last however many years, is the people that are watching you. You know, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'll get a call now and again. I've been watching you or following you for the last couple of years. Yep. And uh, you go, hmm, that's that's pretty interesting, really. And they're usually, I mean, I guess if someone's going to put in that kind of effort, they they usually believe that uh, you know what you're talking about. You've been around long enough. But one of them was uh, Professor Tony Dyson who just passed away not too long ago, which is too bad. I I did invite him to come and speak at the expo, but uh, he, he uh, wasn't able to make it. But he's the gentleman that, uh, in, well, let's say, uh, invented R2-D2. Interesting guy, you know. Um, you know, iconic robot that has lasted, you know, 40 years in, in the uh, minds of the general public. But, you know, the guy, he saw the promise in super drones and wanted to get into drones. And it was interesting that he had been following what I was doing for a while and was interested to make contact with me to see if I could help him with his project. You know, who would have thunk it, you know? Ten-year-old kid sitting there in the movie theater watching Star Wars, you know, whatever. And I just dated myself. But, uh, (laughs) you did. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff, you know. I just it, it blows you away. The other people too that uh, that are out there, it's interesting. But those are probably some of the the, the most memorable guests that I've had, or that stuck out in my mind over this uh, this hundred episodes. Yeah, you know what I think is kind of humorous. You know, I, I I go all over the place and I speak all over the place, and and I don't really consider my Texas accent all that pronounced but uh it's funny i'll be in some of these shows talking and people will come up to me and go i've heard that voice before are you on like radio or what's going on i think that's kind of funny that uh, you can be picked out of a crowd just when you when you say a sentence or two well, um, you know, I mean, it, uh, when you've had over 300,000 downloads, people are listening. I get the same deal. Um, it's kind of interesting. One one thing I always do is um, there's a place, I, I come, I'm calling it the uh, Silicon Valley Proving Ground now, because most of the companies from Silicon Valley uh, fly there, and I always roll up, jump out of the car, and say, I'm from the FA, let's see your co-op. Which puts, like, the fear of, you know, God and people. They're like, oh, my God. But usually someone in the crowd either, like, hey, that's Patrick. And usually it's either picked out by, uh, <laughs> you know, my voice <laughs> that they know me. But uh, you're, you're right. Kind of interesting. People do say that. Um, it is nice to go places. I know, um, you know, you go to a, um, a show or an expo or something else, and, and you go out there and you talk, and people, hey, yeah, they talk about the podcast and how excellent it is and, you know, what they remember or, God, it's great, or when are you going to do another one or, you know, yada, yada. Um, it, it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling that people are, are getting something out of the program. You know? So... 
keep up the uh, keep up the thanks. Keep up that no. <laughs> we'll uh, we're gonna. I, I want to get back on schedule with the podcast, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll be putting more of these out because I definitely think there's still lots of learning that needs to be done um, in this community. So you know, uh, I had another one for you, Gene, but it, oh. Hey, wait a minute. I kind of lost you there, I think. Are you there now? Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm here, and it's just a, a, a shining example of why we still won't use cell phones for command and control. Or ATC. Not happening. <laughs> I don't know. People keep just beating and flogging and wishing. It's like the square peg in the round hole. Not happening. But Not happening. Uh, that's a podcast for another time. So anyway. And then, uh, you know, um, I, I, I did have another one for you. I mean, um, you know, I kind of talked about some of the stuff that I learned. Um, you know, anything stick out in your mind that uh, you may have learned during the course of this podcast series? Oh, come on. The, the, the guy with Noah was a good, a really good example. Of course, if you fly. Well, yeah, but that was my whatever. example. I know, I know, but but the thing is, is you know, we have some shared examples there. You know, I know, I'm having a hard time. But there, there has been so much information. Uh, the the wildlife biology part is kind of near and dear to my heart because I am in Texas and we do hunt, and uh, you know, learning about uh, environments and you know how to do. As a matter of fact, I, I even used some of. Uh, of the advice that, that was given on that show when I was doing a wildlife management area and could actually speak intelligently to the, to the folks when we were picking out things like ecotomes. I didn't know what an ecotome was when I first started, but you know, Hey, it just made so, me smarter. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. We've got to get some more people. I want to get that uh, Ray Hunt on from USDA who was at the expo talking about, I mean, the dude's been using drones for, 20 years in agriculture. I mean, he blew me away right out of the water. Did you see his presentation? No, I haven't. Uh, you know, my focus has been kind of off of the farm and uh, into the field, so I haven't seen that one. Uh, pretty eye-opening. But the video is on our YouTube channel if you need to go back and catch that. But, uh, you know, a lot of lessons learned there. Interesting, interesting stuff. Um I, I agree. There's lots of uh, lots of room to learn, and that is another reason I call myself kind of an aspiring expert. Uh, you know, every time you talk to somebody who's an expert on this deal, you know, you're like, "Wow, I know a lot less than I thought I knew." But um, that's why we bring those guests, ferret those guests out, and bring them on the show. All right. Um, so, you know, now the other thing I thought was kind of interesting is when we started this show, I think we used to do an hour or 45 minutes and people would complain, oh, you know, the show is too long. And All right. Well, you know, I mean, just only listen to half. No, it's too good. <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn it on. It's like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't manage it for you. Okay. You have to work, work on that yourself. So we did trim it down to a half hour, uh, which said, uh, People seem to like a little bit better because it, it works out a lot with commute times and whatnot. So we do listen. We do put that out there. Um, and, and, you know, we're trying to, uh, you know, make all the people happy all of the time. Um, <laughs> it's hard to do. 
Yeah. You know, and then, uh, you know, part of the best part of the, po- the podcast for me is usually in the beginning when we discuss some of the news or current events that are going on. And I don't want to leave that out of this podcast. And I thought maybe, uh, you know, big news after so many years of waiting would be yeah. some musings about part 107. Well, you know, one thing that I would like to say right up front, and it's just one of these trends that is kind of anecdotal that you, you, you kind of just go, oh, yeah, that's right. You notice that in the news you hear less and less about the predator bee and the global hawk, and now it's more about phantoms and and uh, solos and, and that sort of thing. They've kind of taken over. The novelty is kind of, you know, trickling down to, to us. To the to the masses down here, and yeah, 107, 107 is going to be interesting for a lot of folks. I think so. I think so. I think uh, I think you're right. It's too bad, um, you know. I mean, I, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's too bad that we really didn't get, let's say. Uh, more expo- exposure earlier on the civilian uses. Uh, it's too bad that we had to kind of take a backseat to the military guys. As I still think there's some blowback um, with that that we're suffering. Um, but I think that's going away. And when this thing kicks off, I think it's going to be an interesting experiment, uh, to say the least. I, I it's kind of a strange time. I don't know if these are the doldrums or the calm before the storm or what it is, but uh, I'm talking to more and more people who are getting out of the game. And uh, they're just, you know, they just don't, they just, the, the regulation has uh, put them in a situation where they just don't think they're going to make enough money to make the investment of time and money worth it. This visual line of sight envelope. And a lot of folks see, um, you know, with the 107, that uh, a lot of exemptions are on the table. However, it's going to take a long time and a lot of money to get an exemption. What do you think? You know, I haven't been a pilot since, you know, dog's years. And haven't applied for exemptions from things. It, it may take a little time. Whether it takes money or not, I think, is going to remain to be seen. Uh, I, I think the the online of site situation is going to uh, rectify itself pretty quickly simply because of economics. Uh, there's a lot of economics to be derived from using unmanned aircraft in remote areas uh, for the online of site. Now, the baby step that I see that was a gift, and we're gearing up for it, is the mobile ground control station. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, since we're trying to do search and rescues and we're doing some other things with uh, fire mitigations and that sort of thing, we can jump on the back of a four-wheeler or Polaris or, you know, your your favorite four-wheeler and take off down that right away, and you can chase your drone for a long way. Right. Uh, uh, I've got a couple of sons who would just love to jump in the Jeep, and uh, I might not be in the back by the time they got to the other end, but they would absolutely love doing something like that. It's a little payback yeah. for drinking the last beer, you <laughs> 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 No, uh, 
Well, and, and, and I do think that some of that will be helpful. Now, you know, even the Part 107 thing, people go, oh, there's some whining and crying. Hey, you know what? To me, again, very liberal. Uh, what I'm kind of – I'm going to draw a parallel to the F-37 light support aircraft thing. It almost appears to me like the FAA has kind of thrown their hands up. They've been getting uh, kicked around from Congress and the White House by people that don't really understand what they do. And they're just kind of, we're, we're going to have a regime change here in November. You know, I say, I've already heard that, the, you know, the movers and shakers are out looking for new jobs or have gotten new jobs. It's kind of throwing their hands up. Hey, man, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be like light sport aircraft when they kicked that out. It was very liberal. Uh, and then every year since, they've just kind of been tightening things up. What do you think? I got an opinion on that, and I kind of disagree with you a little bit. That's all because right. as we, as we know, you know we've been doing this for a long time. Twelve years, you know we've outlived some retirements in that agency, right? A few. And I, I think the the old guard is starting to retire out. I know I've personally talked to some younger folks in the FAA who share our vision, and they're moving up through the ranks. And I think that they're going to be more and more responsive to us especially public service and the, the, the commercial folks who go through the certification process so that it will be easier for them. I mean, I, I've hit some folks in, in uh, uh, other parts of the countries and other FISDOs on searches, and when I call on the phone, they say, we want to do anything we can to get you in the air. Hmm. Well, that's refreshing. I do, you know, I wish that. I, I don't see where this wouldn't have been possible back in 2007. Yeah. Oh, no, no question. No question at all. I mean, it was constantly no. And, and again, it, it was the old school guys that were approaching retirement, and they had a decidedly manned bias. It was, right. That was just it. Well, I will say the one big mistake, and I tweeted out about that the other day, is that we definitely made some mistakes in the advocacy department, and that was when the FAA asked us to lighten up on the congressional pressure. Yeah. Man, we should have we should have tripled down on that one. We really should have. But uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty on that deal. Um, yep. I, I think if this would have been implemented in two thousand and seven, you would have had the let's say aviation culture of safety would be more prevalent in the drone thing. You know, I think that those people got peeled out. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I don't, you know, uh, the the delivery thing. The flying over people thing, um, skies black with drones. I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I think that the uh, meantime between failures are going to have to come up. I don't think uh, the general public is going to tolerate drones falling out of the sky all over the place, delivering Agreed. lonesome dove DVDs. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I think that uh, the tort law of the insurance is going to. Um, I think it'll kind of help move the regulation along. I mean, if you can't get insurance, you're going to have to self-insure or pay out lots of money, you know? You are so correct. We'll, well, you know, that leaves us, you know, a couple of minutes here to talk about what you've learned about SAR in the last four years. Oh, a couple of minutes. Thanks, Patrick. No, hey, we can run long, so whatever, you know, let's hit the high points. What do you got? Okay. 
first off, I got to tell you that the acceptance of unmanned aircraft for search and rescue has never been higher. Uh, there are more and more people getting involved in it, and that's a double-edged sword. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been many people out there that have formed organizations and have done um, some things that were uh, outside of our normal protocols and kind of have hurt the search and rescue side of it a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't listen to the earlier podcast when we said that you have to be, you know, NIM certified and, you know, go talk to your incident commander and that sort of thing. But I think people are discovering that now. You just don't grab one and say, you know, I are a pilot and I'm going to go search for someone. So that's been a good thing. Uh, one of the things that we see that, you know, the, the states and the, the, the governments are kind of slow to adopt certain things. And now we're starting to see those entities adopting unmanned aircraft there you're seeing them making purchases and you know now they're trying to figure out what to do with them which again that's the other side of the sword they don't get the training that they need uh you know they get the you know bubba joe over here that works in maintenance has got a uh, a quadcopter and let's go send him out to take a picture of this crime scene and you know, that doesn't work out so well so they're starting to learn that they're going to have to set up programs. They're going to have to train their people. And, yeah, Part 107 says we can do this legally. But Part 107 at this point has nothing in there about proficiency. Well, that's that's kind of some of what I, I mean about uh, tightening it up as it as it goes along. Uh, you know, the, the, the FOIA'd... Um, numbers for the meantime between failures. I mean, I don't know if you read the material from the um, MicroArc, whatever. They asked the OEM representatives, give us a number for meantime between failures. They pulled 100 hours out of the sky. It's considerably less than that. Okay? And that's mechanical failures. Then that doesn't even include pilot error. But you know, and I know, it, 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 it's, there's, there's a lot of room for errors there. And so the proficiency thing is kind of surprising to me. Well, and, and a lot of uh, failures get lumped into pilot error because, I mean, come on, we're people, and we, we want to keep that little black smudge off of us. So we say, ah, oh, you know what, that rotor went out or the, the radio hit out or that's it. I'm hit, going down. Uh, so yeah, that I, I see a lot of that going on. So there's a little bit of a, a fudge factor in there. I know from my experience and the things that I've done with uh, the Spectre Flying Wing and and some rotors uh, that they're getting more and more reliable. Um, you know, hundred hours. I've exceeded a hundred hours several times on on single installations and single setups of Spectres and. Uh, even uh, I, I've gone past 100 hours on an Inspire. So well, and that's it's interesting. And really, you would think that some of these manufacturers would be more interested in talking to guys like you in in the field. And, and just to set the record straight, <clears throat> I never crash. I have uh, aborted takeoffs and uh, what do they call it? Unscheduled landings. Unscheduled no landings. That's gotcha. right. No flyaways either. Those are just long-distance, unscheduled long-distance reconnaissance missions. Battery duration tester. Exactly. 
Um, so I don't personally need the proficiency thing because I got it licked. But, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who uh, who don't. Now, you know, that was funny. Even in the uh, the RCAPA um, testing that we had, remember back in 2006 or whatever else, there was a proficiency yeah. part of it where you had to send in a video of you doing the maneuvers. Anyway, right. I digress. So um, I agree with you. I think that there um, – like most of the other fields, this is another, even myself professionally, I'm dealing with where people want, oh, you know, uh, write us a certification program for, you know, mapping, you know. It's like you don't just go down to Best Buy, buy a consumer drone, and become a, a you know, map maker or a search no. and rescue guy or a no. home inspector or any of these no. things. Most of these, you, they have individual or, or existing certification um, and, and the drone, that's just after the fact. So, and it goes back to what I've been saying for oh, over a decade about how drones really augment existing businesses. So I'm already, yeah. I'm a map maker. I get the drone, I add it to my, away we go. I don't think it's magical. And even in the SAR deal, I've, I, I just had a, was it an argument with a discussion with another guy who said he could teach people to do SAR with drones in two days and that it'd be no problem. I said, well, maybe for you, but I'm not certifying anybody in uh, two days of using the drone to, to be a search and rescue guy. It's just, that's just not happening. What do you think? I've only been doing this 12 years. And uh, I Newbie. wish I could say I could dump everything that I've learned in the 12 years into uh, a flash drive and you could plug it into your head. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not happening. The data transfer just doesn't happen that quick. And, and again, proficiency, being in that situation, uh, feeling the pressure uh, of, for one thing, uh, working with the numerous people that you have to work with, you're not going to disgorge that information in two days. Uh, you can give somebody a, a, a really 30,000-foot view, but you have to get out there and do it. You have to go in there with a very learning attitude because each one is different. Uh, I got my hat handed to me yesterday on one, and it was in a cornfield, and I learned something about flying cornfields that I never, ever would have considered before. So, And, and it was humbling. It was very humble. Well, what uh, can stuff. you can you share what uh, went down in the cornfield? Sure, uh, we were we were looking for a missing victim, and uh, we flew the cornfield based on some credible information, and we flew our standard pattern. Uh, standard pattern is mow the lawn type of a situation, and we can cover approximately 300 feet in our field of view of the camera. So as we're flying down the corn rows, which we know we have to fly down the corn rows so we can see in them, we did that. But our standard pattern, we could only see out of the 300 feet, we could only see into the corn rows, to the ground, for about 30 feet. Wow. So there you go. You've got, you know, 170 feet on either, you know, both sides that you can't see into. And unfortunately, we missed our victim, and it was humbling and it was embarrassing, to be quite honest. Um, because we do our best. I mean, we're 
again, as I say in my presentation, our only passing grade is 100%. Right. Well, and, and that you mentioned that, too, that those presentations are on um, the SUS News YouTube channel, and they're definitely worth watching if you're interested yeah. in this. But, uh, you know, you're, you're hitting a good point there. The other thing is, too, is I don't think people realize, you know, it's one deal to go out into the field and fly the drone. Then it's another deal where you are operating in an environment. I, I had this the other day. I, I mean, you know, total pilot overload. I don't think people get it. My other favorite is as soon as you get the drone in the air, you know, just attract people and they're asking you a zillion questions. It's like, you know, yeah. it was on the ground. Yeah. You could have asked me anything. You were, you were over there quiet. Now it's in the air. I got 10 people asking me questions, you know trying to fly the plane. The other uh, deal that you have going too is, uh, you know, if there's too much going on, it's hard to stay focused on what you are doing. Um, I think sometimes I get uh, distracted, but really when I think about all the crap that's going on around me and still be able to fly, it's, it's kind of amazing. Probably something you, yeah, it's probably something that you've realized too. You're, you're in an incident and there's, you know, people and vehicles and, you know, I mean, it, it probably boggles your mind. At the end of the day, you kind of feel like you got hit by a truck, um, and you're exhausted. Is that kind of what you find yourself uh, feeling like? The, the mental gymnastics that you do when you're in the field is incredible, and this, this is something that we've kind of taken exception with on Part 107. Let's segue back into that. Part 107 makes the visual observer optional now. Mm-hmm. Interesting you say that. that. Interesting you say that. I, you know, I mean, I'm teaching in a, a motion picture and broadcast television at the Academy of Art University, and I tell people to use the uh, the buddy system. Never fly solo for a multitude of reasons, you know. And one of them is also, I've, I've heard from people that, uh, you know, this is a public perception thing, that while they are flying, they have hostile people come up to them in, in areas that are more populated, and accuse them of spying and all the rest of that stuff. Hard to fly the plane and defuse a situation. Good to have somebody there. It's also good to have somebody there to keep the area clear, uh, look for intruding aircraft, help with, if there's an emergency, if you've worked out your emergency procedures before. Uh, in your case, uh, I'm sure there's even some extra duties for the observer. We actually use them as a safety officer as well, but we've kind of developed this procedure where we we like a three-man crew. If you're Mm -hmm. flying anything autonomous, you need somebody watching the nav, watching the screen, watching the health of the aircraft. You need the pilot at controls to be outside holding the box, looking at the aircraft as it's flying. You need the visual observer to keep all those people away that want to ask the questions and be able to tell you if hey you've got general aviation approaching from the rear right right and, and it just you know it brings down um you know the saturation level if you have other people uh yeah. let's say watching things for you or helping you with these these things and again that's uh you know the rex quando method never fly solo use the buddy system i think it's important um, I know, you know, that they've had a lot of pressure, but, um, you know, some of those things, 
I, I think as programs are developed, like you said, like, uh, you know, for search and rescue, law enforcement, firefighting, things like that, you, you have people. I think you're going to need more than one person to really be effective. Um, oh, no question. Any, any other things that uh, you've, you've learned uh, that you'd like to impart with the uh, audience? Yes, that uh, there are other wavelengths of light and other ways to collect data that you never even thought about. Uh, you know, we've talked about the near-infrared part of it for a while, and uh, now we are flying the FLIR, and we are discovering things that you can see with the FLIR in the daylight in 100-degree temperatures that is just blowing our skirt up and uh, it's going to be incorporated soon and <laughs> into some of the findings that uh, we're working on as a matter of fact patrick i can tell you right now i've been bugged and bugged by people they like the book first to deploy they they thought it was a good one and they wanted to know when i was going to write book number two okay i think i've got enough information that i can put together book number two and that's in the work uh, well, that'll be good because, uh, you know, I think the other thing with this, uh, another thing I've tried to convey to people that since since we've been in this field, the unmanned vehicle or unmanned, you know, whatever it was at the time and the nomenclature's changed, unmanned aircraft field, the technology has, uh, you know, changed tr uh, tremendously. And... I mean, if you think when you started, I know you have one of the what is it the the, uh, the um, DJI the it's an XT right with the Inspire yep with the Inspire Flare camera on it and uh, I mean imagine if you would have had that when you started oh uh, oh yeah uh, and, and again I think this is kind of a reflection on the whole industry uh, because of the regulation we were stymied technologically in a lot of ways and everybody talks about how things have changed in the last 10 years for drones well now that we are going to have the ability to fly you're not you're going to see some stuff in the next five years that's just going to blow the top of your head off oh i would concur with that i and i am excited about that i i am a little uh you know people oh well this and that and to talk about different manufacturers and i, I got to be honest with you i think uh you know personally that companies like dji are are really about three to four tweaks from locking it up tight that's you know that's kind of how i see it i mean the price point is is pretty darn good the and, equipment you know is pretty good I remember uh, a young man by the name of, uh, I think his initials were Patrick Egan, stating hmm. back in 2007, 2008, that there's going to be a sub $1,000 autonomous drone. And everybody thought, oh, come on, that's not going <sighs> to happen. Well, it was worse than that. Uh, you know, that, that was at a meeting at NASA, you know, with NASA, I, NOAA, DOD, FAA, and the rest of them. People were telling, I mean, they were yelling at me, telling me I was crazy and to go sit down. Never happened. You don't know what you're talking about. And I said, hey, man, it's coming. I don't care. You want to be in denial, whatever. But I do think that uh, that is, I think these systems are going to, uh, the systems are, they're, I mean, pretty robust for around a thousand bucks. Um, again, 10, 12 years ago, if you had something like that, uh, 
you you kind of you kind of knock the socks off people. But yeah, um, you know we're going to see what happens now when this deal kicks off. Um, a lot of people are saying, oh well, there'll be a sub two hundred and fifty gram drone that's going to do X Y Z, and everyone's going to race to that. I'm not so sure on that one. Um, you know, two hundred and fifty grams in the air when there's a little bit of wind. Um, you know. I do a, a lot of never, flying in the Bay Area. I know you say never, Patrick. I know, but uh, you know, I have a hard time. I fly where there's a lot of wind. I have a hard time keeping altitude and heading. And I've I've noticed something when you when you get gusts that are up over a certain, um, you know, speed and knots, uh, well, or miles per hour, that uh, these these multi rotors sink. Okay, and, uh, I'm. I'm going to give you one little term to think about, super cavitating torpedo. Nobody ever thought that you could push a torpedo through the water faster than about 35 miles an hour. And so, there. <laughs> That's your example. All right, well, you know, I'll do my research on that. But it is, you know, it is funny how we're seeing the technology um let's say progress and uh, I really look forward to the 200th show. When um, you know we've got the uh, who knows what drone dealing whatever, um, I look forward to that time. But I think that's probably all for today. I uh, I, I I do want to say thanks, Gene. You know when when we started this uh, podcast, I wanted to have you on as our first guest, and then we actually it went so well. I decided, hey, we got to have this guy as our co-host on the podcast. And, uh, I want to thank you for the, uh, the effort and the time that you put into it. You definitely made this interesting. I, I like your, your views on stuff. I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's, like I said, I, I consider you an expert and I'm glad you're on board and I just want to thank you for being here. Oh, Patrick, it's been my pleasure. You know, we've uh, had parallel thinking, not always, but for a long time. And, uh, the podcast and SUS news has been uh, a great provider of information. I just was happy I could contribute. Well, I think we're all better off for it. And I think that's going to be yep. the end of this episode. And I want to, uh, you know, thank all of our listeners, everybody that supported us, all the people that come and say hi, all of the people that, uh, express gratitude for what they've learned here. That's what we're trying to provide. Um, yep. You know, if you want to hear something in the future, email us, whatever. If there's, there's something you want to hear, if you want to be a guest, whatever else, let us know. Again, thank you so much for listening, and uh, have a great week. Y'all keep stick back. <laughs>